You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, Hamish. How you doing, mate? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Brandon? Doing well. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing quite well. I, uh, I, uh, I I bought something this week. Oh, did you? <laughs> I, I bought something too, so we can. Um, oh, we, really? We can share. Oh, there you go. How funny would well, it be if we, we bought the same thing? Because I, it's possible. I highly doubt it. It would be insane if we did. Oh, okay. All right. It would. It would be all right. What did you buy? No, no, you go first. You go. Oh, first. I'll go first. <laughs> um, well, I'm I'm making a video. It's for a video that I'm making. Mm. I bought a the the highest uh, denomination banknote that has ever existed in the whole world. Oh, where's that? How from? interesting is that? Wow. That- can you can you guess guess how, how what the what the number is on this banknote? Um, I don't know. Really high. Like something outrageous. It's, it is really outrageous. So like tr- it is a country that experienced a lot of inflation. Hyperinflation. I'll tell you, okay. it's, it's Zimbabwe. Right. Okay. Is it a trillion? Is it a trillion or something ridiculous? It is one. It is one hundred trillion dollars. <laughs> wow. The, the one hundred wow. trillion dollar banknote. And what I want? Do you know how much that like equates? Yep. I know exactly how much it's worth. Yeah. Guess guess how much it's worth in US dollars. Well, it, it, you could trade it in up to 2016. You can't trade it in anymore. Right. But in 2016, April 2016, guess how much 100 trillion Zimbabwean dollars was worth? I have no idea. No idea. It was worth 40 US cents. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> That's not good. How crazy is that? Wow. So, um, so I'm making a video about it. So that should be coming out on the channel hopefully uh, next week. But uh, it, it's very interesting learning about that hyperinflation in Zimbabwe yeah. um, with under the rule of Robert Mugabe and just and what what happened there. So yeah, it was very interesting. Anyway, what did uh, what did you buy? Yeah, so I, I I didn't buy that. I um, no. I bought a new light. <laughs> I uh, yeah, be funny. Oh, you got a new light? Yeah, yeah, I did. So I bought a um. What is it called? Aperture 120D. Um, Mark II? I, what is it? It Was it the 120D Mark II? Yes, Mark II. Yeah. So, it hasn't nice. come yet. Um, they were back ordered oh, a little right. bit. So, um, I don't know when yeah, they're going right. to ship it out. But um, yeah, that's what cool. I ordered this week. And I thought that maybe when you said you'd ordered something, it could have been the same because it we could- did talk about that. We've been speaking about yeah. it, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> um, did you get the Light Dome 2 or the Light Dome Mini? Uh, Light Dome 2. Yeah. Nice. I hope you got. Sp- Apparently, it's quite big. Yeah, so I, I think I should have enough space for it. But yeah, you'd have enough space, we'll- but apparently, it's surprisingly large. That light. Dome. Yeah, but hey, it's I mean, huge. it's got to be big. It's got a lot of diffusion. It's it's a nice light. Yeah. I'll, I I can't wait to uh, to see what it looks like in your videos. Yeah, me too. I think. I mean, yeah, I, they haven't even sent it out yet because they were back ordered. So <laughs> I'm expecting it probably yeah. in maybe two or three weeks or something. So right. Okay. Yeah. When that happens, I'll let you know, and then you. Very I mean, nice. you'll Probably see a dramatic. 
improvement, <laughs> some sort of improvement, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> in the quality yeah, you, of my Fingers videos. crossed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. All right. Well, um, what, what are we talking about today? What have we got in this podcast? What have you got to talk about today? Yeah, we've got a couple of things. One thing around Google and their Play Store. They've been um, making some changes that are going to impact right. app developers. Um, an acquisition um, that Corporate Travel made, one of the companies that I'm invested in. Yep. Um, so, those are the two big stories that I've got. Nice. I've got, uh, I think we should talk about the presidential debate a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I've also got some stuff. Uh, apparently, Johnson & Johnson's doing some interesting things with their coronavirus vaccine. And uh, I got an interesting story about a Chinese teapot, which is kind of out there, a bit, <laughs> bit left field. But um, but yeah, I Beautiful. guess uh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah. All right, let's get stuck into it. Yeah, so today's episode is sponsored by ShareSight. And uh, ShareSight is an application that you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. Uh, and it's really good for keeping track of your capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, then it will do all of those calculations for you. Uh, currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. And then the main reason why I use it is when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 10 different reports that can be used at tax time to easily work out things such as your capital gains, dividend income, and more. And at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spelled S-I-G-H-T sharesite.com forward slash young investors. Uh, so you can try it for free using that link. But also if you want to sign up to a yearly subscription, you can get four months free when you sign up to an annual subscription. So go check that out if you're interested. Um, and just in relation to, well, not really in relation to that, but we had a follow-up from um, one of the Ooh, Q&As that we had uh, last week. So yep. um, one of the comments left on this podcast was, hey, Hamish, you mentioned you buy US dollars. Um, I was just wondering where you buy them from. So I can't actually remember what we were discussing, but um, something about currency exchange. Yeah, um, probably exchanges. Yeah. yeah, I thought I'd give a follow up to this question straight away. So um, I just buy US dollars from Comsec International. So you, Comsec being the the broker that I use for Australian and international trading. Um, and if you have an international account, you can deposit money from Australian dollars into US and other currencies, depending on which market you're investing in. So that's the way I do it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I thought I'd just give a follow up there. And um, yep. yeah. And I do it through stake. So there you go. Yeah, perfect. All right. What uh, what should we talk about first? You want to talk about Google? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Google. Yeah. So the the headline this week from Google was that they're closing one of their Play Store loopholes. So right. Um, okay. This story's got a little bit of it's a little bit confusing. So I'll I'll take my time kind of going through and hopefully <laughs> it's not overly um, get the popcorn, everyone. Yeah. Exactly. Get sit back and relax and let's talk about some loopholes. <laughs> all right. Hang on. I'm gonna I'm gonna. You remember me talking about my fancy new chair? Yeah. I'm setting it, setting it to its maximum recline. Yeah. I'm going to pull my microphone in. And, oh, all right. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So um, I, I think most people know Google Play Store is um, an application store um, that you can get on Android devices. It's the native um, app store. Uh, and currently, uh, app developers pay a 30% commission to Google for all in-app purchases. So um, that's pretty standard. Apple has the exact same 30% commission on in-app purchases. So any purchases made, obviously, within the app. Um, right, okay. Yeah. Uh, but up until this point, Google has also allowed apps to just have their own payment system inside the app. So, um, uh, one of those examples is Netflix, for example. If you had the Netflix app on Android, um, you didn't necessarily have to use Google's in-app purchasing. You could have just entered your credit card details in the app 
and Netflix would be getting 100% of that rather than Oh, than right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, so that that's the loophole that that Google's going to be closing now. Um, so before you could in Netflix, for example, you could be entering your credit card directly into the app. But now, if you try to sign up to Netflix through the app, you'll be going through Google's billing system, which will then give right. Google a thirty percent commission. Um, and I mean, this isn't as big of a deal as it sounds because. Um, Google said that this only applies to 0.09% of their apps. So a very <laughs> small number of their apps um, have this kind of setup like a Netflix. I think Spotify mm. also has it where you can just pay directly. Yeah. Although I was going to say um, 0.09% can probably, even though it's 0.09% of apps, it can probably, like you're saying, include a lot of high up there apps. Exactly. I mean, you would imagine for something like a Netflix or a Spotify, there's a lot of money that Google would be um, gaining by closing this loophole. Mm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess the, the it's not as big of a deal because it's a small number of of, um, of apps and also consumers. I mean, you can still go to the Netflix site, for example, and just sign up directly. So, um, mm. it's possible that you, if you sign up during the app, it's uh, in the app, it's going to be maybe 30% more expensive now or a little bit more expensive than it was before. But you can always um, just go directly to, to the website. So, it's not that big of a deal. But mm. the reason why I kind of wanted to discuss this is because there is a lot of uh, debate going on around app stores at the moment um, and particularly around Apple and Google having too much power against app developers. So um, we know that Apple's in a battle. Who are they in a battle with? Epic Games, I think. I don't know. Um, Maybe, at the yeah. moment. Yeah. So they're in a lawsuit, I think, um, where basically Epic Games, which owns Fortnite, um, they decided to to allow uh, cre- create a system in their app that bypassed Apple's uh, in-app purchase system to bypass uh, that 30% fee. And Apple just banned them from the app straight out. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and fair enough. I mean, they they broke their terms and conditions, but now Epic Games is is um, is suing Apple to 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 um, say that it's um, I don't know I, I don't know what they're saying that it, that it's anti competitive to to not allow yeah. them to have their own system. But yeah, I wanted to just draw a little bit of a comparison between Google's App Store and that situation with their thirty percent commission and Apple's situation because um, the way that the two have gone about it is is quite different. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this too. So, um, so uh, to me, Google has a much more appealing approach. So they have that 30% commission, same as Apple. So if you do in-app purchases through the Google or Apple payment system, uh, you pay a 30%, the app developer pays a 30% commission on all their sales. Um, but in Google's situation, you can download other app stores. You don't have to have the Google app store on your Android mm. device, or you could just go and download games directly from any website, right? There's no restrictions on, on yeah. Yeah. what um, games you can download. Um, it's not just what's in the app store. Um, and Google also said that it's perfectly okay for um, an app to direct people uh, to their site to avoid the fee. So it's okay for Netflix to say, hey, you're going to pay more for this uh, subscription if you buy it in app, go over to our website and you'll get it for cheaper. That Google's right, like, okay. that, that's completely fine. Um, and that's very different to Apple's approach where right, okay, yeah. uh, Apple's app store is the only option. You can't download any other app store um, and you also mm. can't download any apps outside of the app store. Um, mm. And even further than that, 
Apple doesn't even want you to know that they're charging a fee because there was a really um, funny thing that came out from Facebook recently where I think Facebook did this just to have a little bit of a dig at Apple, um, but they tried to add a line. So in, in Facebook at the moment, you can do in-app purchases to buy things on Facebook Marketplace, for example. Yeah. Um, and they added a line below the pay button that just said, Apple is collecting a 30% commission. Facebook collects uh, zero. Like, because uh, uh, <laughs> because they just wanted to let people know, like Facebook doesn't take anything on their marketplace sales, but Apple is oh, taking okay. 30%. That's <laughs> and, crazy. Uh, and Apple- It's a little jab, isn't it? Yeah, like I think it was a little bit of a, a, little bit of a cheeky jab and Apple yeah. actually blocked the update. They didn't allow them to do that, even though it's the, oh my gosh. Even though it's the truth, even though that, that's the situation that's happening, right? Um, uh, sneaky so, Apple. So yeah, I mean, it's, an, I mean, it's a bit of a non-story, I, I think in terms of the actual loophole that's being closed but i think it's an interesting it poses an interesting conversation around yeah. um, whether apple should be allowed to have the setup that they do where yeah. you know if you're an app developer and you want to get in front of apple iphone users um you, you have to pay that 30 percent commission you have no choice whereas on android it's a very different situation what do you think about this? Mm. Do you have any thoughts around this? Yeah, it raises it definitely raises an interesting um, discussion. What you're what you're saying before is that um, whether whether it's you know from Apple's perspective or Google's perspective, I mean they'd be standing up and saying, "Well, hang on, we've built these big businesses. Um, we've come from the ground up. We've built a uh, you know a system where everyone buys iPhones. Mm. You know, we've created this monopoly through private enterprise. And come on, we deserve to be able to you know you know uh, take advantage financial advantage of the moat that we have created for ourselves because that's just clever business. Um, but Again, there's the other side of the equation where we get to companies that are so large where we start saying, well, hang on, they have such a monopoly or they have such a an advantage where they are now, where they've built themselves up to. That is, is it actually fair that they're allowed to to do whatever they want with their platform. It's like what, what we're talking about with Google, with their Google search or or Facebook or, or lots of these other big tech companies. Is is it fair that they're able to just do whatever they want in their own platforms considering mm. like in, you know, Facebook's case, I think it's around about a third of the population of the earth uses Facebook at least once a month. Mm. I mean, when you search on the internet, you're basically always Google searching. <laughs> so, is it fair for them to be able to just... Um, you know, put their own business interests first, uh, because and just exploit the 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 massive moat and the massive amount of power that they've built up through their business over time, um, and that's that's where you know that's why you know anti-competitive law is you know so murky and you know what is it Google's copying billions of dollars worth of fines every every year <laughs> as a non-recurring expense because they <laughs> they breach some sort of antitrust law or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, you're right. It's it's a it's a big debate. And while this what you're saying here is a bit of a non-story, it's just like Google's just closing a loophole and um, collecting their commissions for what is it 0.09% more apps. Um, yeah, it, it definitely does raise that bigger debate. I, I'm interested. What where do you kind of stand? Yeah, on this. I mean, I I think I tend to lean more on the side that I would allow Apple to to have whatever restrictions they want for their own product, right? Because they've yeah. built their reputation on having a really secure app store. Um, and I mean, yeah. there's no doubt about it that you know if you have an Android device, 
it, you know, it, it's a lot safer when you're downloading apps to, to be downloading them from the Apple app store. Um, you know, it, it's relatively safe on the, on the Google play store, but then you also have the option to download apps from any website, which could be severely harmful to your device. Um, mm. It's kind of like Apple is the gatekeeper of that, whereas Google says, you know, if you want to take your own risk and download from a random website, you can. Um, yeah, true. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and the other thing to mention, I think, is that, I mean, iPhones at this point, I, I think I saw the market share, I think it was maybe 15% of all phones, uh, smartphones sold, or maybe 20%. So, it's not like they have some monopoly on, on, dev, on you know, users, smartphone users. Um, mm. So, app developers do have a choice there. They can go to, to Android devices, which make up the vast majority of devices, um, mm. And then they can use some of Google's little bit more flexibility to to um, bypass that thirty percent commission if they want. But yeah, yeah, I think I kind of lean on the side that Apple, with their own physical product and their own digital products, they should be able to do what they want. Particularly, I think from the security mm. standpoint, um, yeah. because there definitely is value in having an app store where you don't have to be very switched on to, to which apps are safe and which ones are not. You that's just true. know that, you know, if you, you're accessing the Apple app store, it's going to be an app that's safe. Like yeah. th- that's kind of a, that's a big deal. I think for a lot of people, yeah. um, whether it's 30%, whether the app developers agree um, because of that 30% haircut, um, I don't know, but yeah, that's, that's probably where it's a good way to put it. <laughs> no, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I, I tend to lean on the side of, of you know, businesses have, have built themselves up to a point, therefore they kind of deserve to be able to, you know, reap the profit, reap the rewards um, of, of, you know, their, their business endeavors over time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's obviously it's a it's a fine line because there's a point where if you let it go too far, then select companies do have too much power, and then if they abuse that power, it can be very manipulative. So, yeah, I think it would be a different story if iPhones made up you know nine ninety five out of a hundred phones that mm. were purchased, right? So Apple really did have a monopoly on people on the um, people you know accessing apps, right? Basically. Mm. Then you know that's a different story. Um, yeah, yeah. That I think, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like yeah, exactly. Because then they could yeah, they could just set the rules. They could do what they wanted, and and no one could really do anything about it. So yeah, um, they would have a lot of power there. All right, should we move on to to something different? Yeah, yeah. Let's um, we'll sure. talk one of your we'll talk about one of your stories. What if we go? Sure. Well, um, we, we, I, I can talk about Johnson and Johnson. This is actually news that we didn't get to last week because mm. um, we're talking for so long about Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Johnson and Johnson have now also begun their stage three um, coronavirus vaccine Ooh. trial. Um, they So, it says here that J&J have begun dosing up to 60,000 volunteers in a study of its COVID-19 vaccine, marking the first big US trial of an inoculation that may work after just one shot. That's kind of the point of difference with Johnson Johnson. Did we talk uh, about this last week? I can't remember. No, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we didn't talk about this. Maybe it's just been sitting there and I've read it through a couple of times, but yeah. just reading that, I'm like, hang on, have I have, have we covered this new story <laughs> we before? Did. That'd be maybe funny maybe if we did. did. <laughs> well, guess what? We're covering it again. Uh, <laughs> maybe we did. Now I'm really just doubting myself. Anyway, we give, give us the we're, headlines of it anyway. We'll, yeah, we're we covering it again. Um, 
because I was doing a little bit more reading about it today anyway. Um, so interestingly, they are um, now that they're the fourth vaccine maker to move its candidate into large stage human studies uh, in the US. Uh, if enrollment goes as expected, the trial could yield results as soon as the year end. But this is actually like that's promising, but it's, they're actually a little bit behind because I think that uh, what was it? Moderna and Pfizer, they've got. They've got um, studies that should be ending or getting uh, results by the end of October. Wow. However, those the, the two that uh, the Moderna one and the Pfizer one are two-dose vaccines, um, which uh, obviously wouldn't be as good as if you could just walk in, have one jab, and that's all because, you know, two shots, you have to come back for a second dose and blah, blah, blah. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, th- I think that's very interesting. I mean, these companies have, have really gotten uh, gotten a move on, but I'm going to find it interesting. I'll be very interested to see because usually there's a, a, a period of time, like uh, as I understand it, like a year or two where they kind of uh, they kind of watch if there's any side effects or if anything's happened to anyone that took part in the stage three uh, test, yeah. but it sounds like uh, they, in this case, because the coronavirus is such a big thing, they might actually be able to um, to get uh, approval before that kind of stage, which is interesting. Yeah, it's kind of strange, right? Because <laughs> on one hand, you want them to do the tests, the the uh, yeah, the, the late stage testing on humans very carefully, mm. <laughs> and you would imagine yeah. that you would have to. I mean, for any of these tests, I, I I don't know how vaccines work or anything like that, but I would imagine that there could be the potential that there are side effects, you know, a year after mm. or two years after the person takes the vaccine. I would imagine that mm. not not all of the the side effects would have to take place in the first few months, but mm. maybe that's an ignorant um, point of view. So Yeah, um, yeah I don't sure. claim to be a scientist either, but yeah, I mean, there's always a potential. Yeah, so it is strange because they're clearly, I, I think, I mean, obviously everyone's very keen for them to rush through some kind of vaccine so that, mm. um, you know, we can get to some back to some kind of normal. But yeah, yeah. this is just an interesting, another interesting case of it's kind of like the, 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 there's two sides of the coin. There's two kind of tails and it's like a trade off. Mm. It's like how, how quickly do you rush doing the vaccine because the sooner we have a vaccine that looks promising, we can give it to a lot of people. We can start opening back up, you know, travel, business, um, you know, mental health, all these things might see an improvement. But at the same time, there's definitely reasons why you want to see long-term, you know, effects after a trial. So, it's just one of those interesting things where it's like how how are they going to go about getting this vaccine out there? How, how many steps or how yeah how many tick boxes are they going to just not worry about mm. in order to try and get it out there but look i'm sh- i'm sure that they they i'm sure that they would not release a vaccine unless it was pretty much perfectly safe yeah um but uh, yeah it's 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 an interesting case where it's like it's a bit of a trade off mm. Um, just Definitely. because of the severity of the thing that they're trying to treat. So yeah, exactly. Fascinating that um, a couple of companies have, have will have their results near the end of October, which is um, yeah, it's soon, a lot isn't it? sooner than I was expecting. Um, mm. That's um, that's fascinating. I guess uh, at that point we'll find out whether or not they've passed. Um, yeah, I, I think Bill Gates was suggesting that it's uh, <clears throat> in most cases they will still fail a final a, a stage three. Um, right. So it, it's in the best case, you have a number of running options, which there's now what four in the mm. third stage. 
Um, right. So I guess we'll kind of see what happens, see which ones fail, which ones succeed. And then yeah. I imagine it takes quite a while to, to manufacture the vaccines even after they pass that third stage. So they got to make a lot of doses, don't they? <laughs> Especially if it's two doses per person. So. If it's two doses per person, then I guess, yeah. I mean, if you want the whole world, if you want everyone on this here planet Earth or thereabouts mm. to have this uh, coronavirus vaccine, yeah. then um, yeah, you're going to need quite a few doses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that production line will be slowing down for, for many years to come. <laughs> yeah, very but, interesting. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's that's uh, kind of all I had to say about the coronavirus vaccine. Just an update that J&J are doing their third stage trial. Yeah. All right. What should we get into next? Um, oh, we could briefly talk about this uh, corporate travel management acquisition. Um, mm. It's not a huge Australian company, but um, it's it's in my portfolio. So I've been watching it quite closely. And I know that there's a number yep. of um, listeners of the Young Investors podcast that have, have spoken about corporate travel before. So um, yep. this might be an interesting sort of story to cover. But um, yeah, so this week on Monday, they announced that they're acquiring a, a US travel company, uh, TNT Group. Uh, travel and transport group. Oh, okay. Very yep. very plain names. Corporate travel management and yeah. then travel and transport. <laughs> it's not like it's got any kind of it's not a Google, nah. is it? It's not a Netflix. That's that's no, exactly <laughs> right. But that's like Peter Lynch, he says that he loves the stocks that sound boring. Yeah, exactly right. And um, <laughs> yeah, so they announced on Monday they're acquiring this US company, um, both are, are corporate travel agencies. Um if you're mm -hmm. wondering. Um, and uh, yeah, so this North American company is based in Omaha, which is uh, where uh, Warren hey, Buffett lives. Warren so, Buffett. Yeah. Speaking of, <laughs> uh, speaking of boring, that's the, that's the home of boring, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Isn't that what <laughs> Warren Buffett says? He, he likes being as far away as possible. Far from, away uh, from Wall, from Wall Street. Street. Yeah. It's in the middle of nowhere. Nothing ever happens. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just some of the, I guess, some of the headlines out of this acquisition, they have most of their offices in on the East Coast of the US, particularly in New York, which is going to be very complimentary to Corporate Travel's business, which has um, quite a few offices, well, quite spread out over the US, but quite a few on the West Coast. Um, mm -hmm. they, the company did $4 billion in total transaction value in 2019, which will add about 60% to corporate travel management's business. So it's not some wow, small okay. acquisition where it adds. That's know, a big acquisition. Yeah, they're not adding 10%. They're not adding 20. Like it's a big sizable increase in in their total transaction value, their revenues, and then wow. um, also their profits as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I thought, I mean, in, in terms of the deal itself, the, uh, the company had EBITDA, so basically earnings before tax and depreciation um, of 39 million in 2019. And then interestingly, management thinks that after they um, sort of combine the two businesses, they'll be able to get an additional $25 million per year out of this out of this company. Okay. So um, theoretically, if ma if yeah. management is accurate, after everything is fully integrated, um, the cost would have been, the cost to acquire this business would be about 4.3 times last year's profits. So pretty good valuation. Jeez, that's not bad. Yeah. So, um, and I mean, in terms of how they're doing the deal so that the all in, they're paying uh, $275 million for the company. 
Um, and they're not using cash. They're not using debt. They are actually opted to raise equity. Um, so I know um, if anyone's sort of curious about um, yeah, learning about raising capital and, and share buybacks and all of that and how that impacts you as a shareholder, check out um, Brandon's video um, with, uh, who did you do it with? Oh, with Richard. With Richard, Richard from yeah, the yeah. Plain Bagel. That was fantastic, that video. That was really good. He is, he is such a knowledgeable guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's fascinating because, I mean, most of the time I think whenever I see equity raise, I kind of cringe or I kind of think, oh, it's a negative thing. But um, mm. certainly- you have to think about like what they're spending the money on. Um, and in this case, they're making an acquisition. So, um, I mean, you, obviously as a shareholder, if you're getting diluted, I'm getting diluted. I'm getting a smaller piece of the pie in exchange of getting a, a piece of this new business, basically. So yeah. that's kind of the question I'm asking is, am I willing to, to have a little bit of a smaller percentage ownership in exchange for getting a piece of this new business, do I think that mm. it will deliver to me more than than what I'm going to lose immediately? Um, so yeah, it's an interesting situation. Um, but the I think the most fascinating thing to me is that most people and most companies in the travel industry are just scrambling at the moment to survive. Um, yeah, much, they really pretty are. Pretty much wherever they? you look in the travel industry, if you're looking at um, travel agents like a flight center or a Webjet, both of those companies have raised shares or taken on a substantial amount of debt. I think mm. they've both done both of those things actually. Um, well, we spoke about last week, one of them went bust as well. One of them went into administration. Yeah, didn't I it? can't remember. S- STA or whatever. Yeah, STA. That's the one. Yes, yeah, so they went into yeah. administration. Um, both, yeah, Flight Center and Webjet are just, they're just kind of struggling to stay afloat. Struggled and then in other areas of travel as well, like cruise liners in the US, they're all struggling. Um, a lot of airlines are struggling. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting to see that see that kind of happen at the same time as something like corporate travel management, who's kind of going on the offensive where they're not, yeah. they had no debt going into the pandemic. They had a decent amount Handy. of cash um, Handy. and their business is corporate travel, which was not hit as anywhere near as hard as, as leisure travel, as, as tourism. Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting to see those factors and how that impacts their business differently to a lot of other travel businesses. And um, mm. I think the CEO said earlier in the year that everyone else seems to be in survival mode, whereas they were going on the offensive and looking for opportunities to grow. And um, I guess this is our, the first time that they've, they've done this during the pandemic. Um, mm. and I think, I mean, the major lesson I, I, I see out of this, and obviously we don't know the outcome of this acquisition yet or anything like that, but, um, typically in, in, when there's weak economic conditions, like what we're seeing right now, there will be many poorly positioned businesses that have too much debt or they expanded too quickly. And a lot of those businesses will either fail or they'll get close to failing and they'll dilute shareholders um, completely out like a, like a Virgin, mm. for example, which, I mean, I guess you could say Virgin failed. They pretty much did. Yeah. Right. Well, but it did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but there will be other businesses that get near failing. And then there will be the businesses that are strong businesses that can acquire the struggling businesses or just take customers organically. Um, mm. The customers are going to shop somewhere. So if a poorly positioned business fails, those customers will go somewhere else um, and they'll go to the businesses that are still still providing really good service and and uh, well positioned to to continue on. Mm. And I'll tell you what, I remember I think this was even when I was down in Melbourne, like the the week before things really escalated mm. and lockdowns started happening and I remember we were making a video together and I think we were talking about what specific things do you need to watch out for in businesses 
um, you know, right now heading into what we we're heading into at the time. And what we were saying at the time is you want to make sure that they have hopefully little or no debt mm. or they're well in control of their debt and you want them to have a nice cushion of cash. And, you know, if the company can do both of those things, then it's it's much more likely to, to get through, uh, you know, relatively unscathed. And this is exactly what we're seeing in this case, except this has actually helped out corporate travel in another sense is that while everyone else is failing and while, you know, when businesses are, are now, especially in the travel industry, are valued at much, much, much less than what they were, you know, 11, 12 months ago, mm. then corporate travel being in its position that it's in, having no debt. Um, did you say no debt? Yeah. Uh, well, they had yeah. no debt. Um, yeah, they still have no debt, actually, because they didn't- still have no yeah, debt. They didn't yeah, take yeah. on any debt. And having healthy cash- um, that that enables them to be able to swoop, mm. um, as opposed like if if corporate travel had a whole bunch of debt and you know they didn't have a good cash pile, then they would be in the same boat as everybody else. They would be struggling. They would they wouldn't be thinking about being on the offensive, um, which is going to help them come out of you know in ten years time be a much stronger business. They would just be scrambling to survive. Whereas now they actually can. They can look okay. This makes sense. This company has been shot. Uh, we can pick it up, you know, relatively cheaply. It'll bolster our business. As you were saying, it's adding sixty percent to their what? What was it? Total transaction volume. Mm. Um, so I mean, this is just the difference. I mean, if you set you if you set yourself up, if you set your business up well, and you know, s- clever financial management, you know, balance sheet management, you know, robust can can handle any economic condition kind of balance sheet. Then when things like this happen, these companies can pounce and they can make some really good deals that are going to make them much, much, much more valuable in five, ten years' time. Yeah. So, good job, corporate travel management. Yeah. So, I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to kind of see um, what happens in, and how, what the outcome of this is because obviously we just heard about it. So, we, yeah. we don't know. I don't even. I really don't know that much about this, the company that they're acquiring. We've got a little bit of information, mm. but until we see them um, kind of integrated, we won't really know what the impact is going to be, but um, mm. certainly um, a little bit of exciting news for me uh, recently. There hasn't been a lot. I mean, yeah, for sure. It, there's really never a lot going on when you're a long-term investor. So something like yeah. this is exciting. Uh, something yeah, to kind sure. of research and, and look into. Mm, very good. Very good. Now, it's an interesting kind of case study um, and it highlights a, an important topic, which we, we, which we just covered. So, uh, all right, should we move on to, we better talk about it, the presidential debate. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Um, yeah, so Trump v. Biden yesterday. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I think we, we should We should go. We, we, we're not trying to get super political, so we're not, um, we're not trying to, you know, persuade you to vote for Donald Trump or for Joe Biden or or anything like that. I think we'll just kind of comment on what we thought of the debate itself, um, and then move on. And you you watched the whole thing, so I I haven't watched the whole thing yet. Um, I've just been able to catch a couple of highlights, um, a couple of news stories, um, and but from from what I've seen, it sounded like it was really bad. It sounded like it was. It sounded like the moderator needed a mute button so that when one person was talking, 
the other person. We could not hear the other person. Yeah. And then they needed to flip it over. I feel like that's how they should do debates. Yeah. It should be like, okay, Trump, you have three minutes. And the topic we're talking about is this. And then they mute Biden. And then three minutes later or however long it is, it flips over. Mm. So Trump gets muted and then Biden gets a chance to respond. I feel like that's the only way because it sounded to me from all that I was looking at, mind you, I only saw highlights, is that they were just constantly talking over each other. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think some some of the debates do have um, a thing where they mute the microphones. I think it makes sense to do that because yeah. there was a lot of interrupting. Um, mm. but, I mean, both of them were interrupting, but, you know, Trump, he, he doesn't let anyone He's get a, a word in. So He yaps, doesn't he? Yeah. Yaps and yaps and yaps. I, 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 I found it funny when Joe Biden was just like, man, will you please shut yeah, up? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that made me laugh. That was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, it was, um, I mean... <laughs> From someone who's not that impacted by it, it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad that that's, it is the, two, sad. that's the two candidates. <laughs> you, you have you have to laugh because if you didn't laugh, you would cry. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, um, yeah, I mean, tr- yeah, I, I don't know too, too much what to what to say about it, except that it was a little bit of a joke and there was just a lot of insulting back and forth and mm. I don't know. Yeah. Trump was that's his- That's basically what- that's that's the one thing I hate. I hate when, you know, politicians, the people that, in this case, the, the person that is going to lead the government of the United States of America, you know, in when whenever the election is in November, you would have thought that this is a presidential debate. You would have thought that, you know, you would not you wouldn't expect name calling or talking about you know Joe Biden's kids or talking about you know Trump's doing something else like I don't know white supremacists or something you you would have thought that the things that they would talk about might have been you know economic policies mm. or you know economic plans and whatever but uh, nope <laughs> it's just it's just uh, yeah. it's just Nothing that helps anyone. Yeah. I mean, may as well. It's just like he said, she said for two hours. Yeah. Instead of talking about things that might actually impact the American people. <laughs> yeah. I think the one thing I got out of this is regardless of, of, you know, which sort of side you sit on policies or whether you think that, you know, what they were saying was the truth. Trump is a very good debater. There's no doubt about it that he's very clever. Uh, at least this is my this is my yeah. like view of it. At least, um, like yeah. he just doesn't let the other person say anything negative about him. And as soon as something negative comes up, he'll just, he'll just be all talking. over the to- all over the top of them. Um, yeah. And if they, you know, if Biden would stumble with his words, or at one point he was like, "This is the first point," and then he said something, and then he was like, "And then the third point," and Trump's just chimes in and goes Biden Joe you're up to number two <laughs> like like, oh, like right. just you know just like <laughs> like teasing or digging at him like yeah. I don't know to me like in terms of the actual policies and getting across a point like I don't know whatever you can have your own opinions but I think he's very good at at not at kind of being in charge of the debate I think is probably the right yeah, way he, try, to- he tries to he definitely tries to be the aggressor exactly he? yeah tries to get on top of on top of everything yeah um, yeah, there you go. One thing that was interesting um, was that I just saw this as a news article on Bloomberg. Apparently, of course, they would report this on Bloomberg, but <laughs> um, apparently the debate worked surprisingly well for Joe Biden, who actually raised $10 million for his campaign yesterday. Wow. Which is pretty crazy. Jeez. Yeah. 
It said here that Biden had his best hour of fundraising in the campaign as the verbal slugfest was winding down, taking in $3.8 million between 10 and 11 p.m. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Um, The campaign received more than 215,000 donations in the three-hour period, said some official. Um, There were 60,000 first-time donors. So, there you go. (laughs) It's pretty interesting that, um, you know- just ha- just being on TV and everyone watching the debate and all of a sudden you're just like, your campaign has just been absolutely cash boosted. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see Trump's numbers now to, yeah, to get a bit I, of- Because I don't know if $10 million is like, I mean, I'm sure it's a lot for that time period, mm. but I don't know how, you know, much, I, I don't have anything to compare that to, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know if Trump during that did like six and then it's like, oh, well, Biden did more, but, you know, both did yeah. a good chunk. That's true, but, actually. Uh, yeah. That's why I made the remark at the start that, of course, because it's on Bloomberg, of yeah. course, this is going to be about, you know, the Democratic candidate, not the Republican. Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's the that's the presidential debate. Um, who are you voting for, Hamish? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> who am I voting for? Um, we're, we're, we're actually American. and uh, A lot of people think we are. Like, not that we're American, oh, really? that we're Australian, but that we live in the, the United States. We live in the United yeah. States, right. Well, I guess we do talk about um, a lot of American companies. True. But, I mean, we just talk about them because we're they're, they're the ones we're interested in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone uses American products for the that's, vast that's majority true. of their, what they use. So, yeah. Very true. impacted. Um, okay. Well, uh, let's talk about... What should we talk about next? Oh, let's talk about this Chinese teapot story. <laughs> this is great. This is, just yes. a, this is just a great, great story. I was waiting for, for this. this is- yeah, exactly right. Uh, the headline is Chinese teapot found in garage during lockdown sells for $850,000. Wow. How crazy is that? That's crazy. <laughs> that puts the um, this that uh, little Yoda, that baby Yoda, Yoda thing to, to shame. Yeah, I know, right? That's crazy. Uh, this is just a feel-good story because it's just someone has just found something in their garage where it's just they've made a heap of money. Uh, all right, what does this say? A teapot which almost went to a charity shop sold for a whopping $850,000 at auction. The tiny yellow enameled vessel uh, had been stuffed in a box for more than a decade and kept in a loft and then in a garage. But during the lockdown, its anonymous owner in the UK finally had a clear out and decided to get it valued. It turned out to be a 250-year-old Chinese wine ewer. Is that how you say that word? No I've idea. got no idea. No ewer. Idea. <laughs> uh, from the reign of Changlong Emperor from 1735 to 1796 and may have been handled by the ruler himself. Oh, I love that bit. Uh, yeah, it just add that in. Been May, by him. Allegedly. It, it was allegedly <laughs> used by him for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, what? Allegedly. You don't know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you, I mean, they got to ham it up. This is a story. Yeah, You've got to yeah. make this as, as dramatic as possible. <laughs> but apparently, only three other uh, teapots like this exist. Wow. There's two in Beijing and one in Taiwan. And then there's this one that someone just sold in the UK. But, geez. Man, it's just so it's just so lucky, isn't it? Yeah, you you get one of these stories wonder, every now and then, where someone just yeah. I wonder how many, how how many like millions of undiscovered dollars get you know donated to charity or or I'm not saying that's a bad thing, um or or you know sold at garage sales for like a dollar or something. Yeah. I wonder how what like how many of these 
quirky things that actually have huge value just get sold at, you know for for peanuts yeah it's probably it's probably one once in a while you'd get something like that yeah and then eventually just landfilled just just chucked in the garbage yeah just passed that's around true. from a few people who didn't get it valued and then and then thrown out that would be something that that's i would true. do because i hate having like i'm i'm never going to be a person who has a lot of like just stuff in storage like i yeah. throw stuff yeah, out me i just throw it out i just want like the yeah. minimum minimal required <laughs> stuff yeah stuff yeah I, I hate having stuff pile up so i'm never going to be a person who has something like this just stashed away somewhere but there's a lot yeah. of people who just have stuff like a lot of stuff yeah <laughs> no that's true uh, i'm i'm not i don't really i used to collect like star wars things but they're just sitting at my parents house but yeah just day to day i've only got things that i actually kind of use you you do tend to gather junk but oh, yeah i try to just yeah. not it's impossible not yeah to. it's not it's impossible yeah. not to gather some but yeah it feels good to but you just got to clear it yeah, out don't it feels you? good to clear stuff out like your closet it or does. something just to like get rid of yeah. all the stuff that you don't use yeah intelligent investor chuck that out don't need that mm. chinese uh, teapot keep that uh yeah keep that ooh. silver play button chuck that out don't need that <laughs> child uh ushi ooh, keep that yeah, yeah yeah baby yoda ushi get rid of that the ebay pie. <laughs> <No>! <laughs> oh dear uh all right shall we move on to q a have we got anything else to talk about um yeah, we can just go. We'll just go into Q and A. Maybe we have got a couple of Q and A. I did have one more <coughs> news story, but it's oh. it's not really that exciting now that I actually read through it. <laughs> Guess what, everyone? You know how Australia has been changing our banknotes to the new versions. Well, that's happening to the one hundred dollar note now as well. Whoopee! <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my that's my last news story. That was quick. There as we go. It's covered. Speedy. There really hasn't been that much. I mean, there's been bits and pieces going on, but there hasn't been that much. That's been really mm. exciting for me, at least. Yeah. That acquisition was probably like, the most exciting thing that's happened in a while for me. Yeah. I feel like I get nervous because I feel like there, there has been something big and I just haven't heard about it. True. So when I do these podcasts, I'm like, man, have I, have I missed something big? I mean, I seem to have a whole lot of not crazily interesting stories. Um, have I missed something? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't read that much news like on a day by day basis. So could certainly yeah, me could neither. Certainly miss big stories. I'm just relying on Google <laughs> News to send me a notification when something big happens. So yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> so yeah, if like if you think there is a big news story that you need it, you would like us to cover, then definitely leave it as a comment um, so that we don't miss it. If if you'd like us to to talk about a particular news story. And while you're there, also, if you want to ask us a question, please do so. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and we shall lead into the Q&A section now. We've only got, uh, we've got three questions to get through today. Let's see if we can get through all three. Yep. Um, okay. Should I, I'll, I'll ask this to you. Okay. Um, I know you guys are both very interested in the stock market investing side of wealth creation, but I was wondering if either of you have plans to invest in property mm. while you're in your 20s. Yeah, Definitely. Both of us, yeah, I, I would say definitely, yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, it's probably something I would want to do over the next few years. Um, yeah, it's not something I've thought about too much, like up until this point. But especially considering where the stock market is, if I mean, if the stock market drops substantially, then I'll probably put a lot of money, money that I have on mm -hmm. the sideline into the market. But if that doesn't happen, then um, yeah, I'm looking for for some other kind of asset to put 
put money into to deploy. So yep. um, yeah, certainly properties. I mean, over the next three years, I think it's pretty likely that I'd probably invest in something. Yep. Would you buy like an investment property or would you want to buy a, a home for yourself? Um, I would probably be living in it, I would say. Yeah. 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 I think that's, I mean, personally, this is just my uh, financial goal is to try and get into a house and have it paid off as soon as possible. Um, I, I kind of, obviously, you just, it, you know, if the stock market crashed, I would invest heavily in the stock market and instead try and really maximize my money. But for me, one of my financial goals is is to have like just a really solid foundation, I suppose, like have a base of base of support, I suppose. Mm. So, you know, have a have a car, have a house. And if you if you can have those two things and you, you know, have those paid off, then for the rest of your life, then that's just a really strong kind of personal financial platform. You know, any if you have your house paid off and if you've got a car, you can get yourself around and that's paid off, then I mean you really only need income for food, keeping yourself alive, you know, leisure. Um, yeah. And then any income, you know, if you do end up being a high income earner, then I could uh, I could use that money to try and, you know, fund businesses and without too much fear, um, uh, you know, of, of heavily, heavily investing or going all in on a particular project just because mm. I, I know that there's kind of like that fallback. Yeah. So, for me, that they're my kind of personal motivations for wanting to, to buy into property. But I, I can definitely see myself in the long term owning multiple properties and, and trying to, uh, to, to like actually have, you know, investment properties. But definitely. Uh, once, yeah, once I think I have that house and the car, then, yeah, I think- I'll probably be more on the stock market side than property side. Um, well, I, I know more about stock market investing anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd be the same. Um, certainly, mm. be nice to get a property to to add some diversity. I think in terms of yeah. types of assets, but um, mm. I, I certainly know a lot more about the stock market than property. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's for sure. where I'll be investing most of my money. I would say. Yeah. All right, should we do this next yes, one? Yes, I'll read this one to you. Um, all right, what's the best advice you can give someone, i.e. me, uh, who is waiting for an exceptional company to be an at an attractive and affordable price? Uh, should I invest in a market tracker, some kind of ETF, bond, or wait some more? That's kind of funny because the i.e. me is actually a part of this question, but it actually is us. <laughs> <laughs> It's like we are like kind of just waiting, um, waiting to buy good companies at affordable prices. <laughs> uh, what's the best of advice you can give someone like me who's waiting for an exceptional company to come onto to come at an attractive price? Uh, look, this, this sounds like a bit of a cop out, but it's really not. The best advice is just to stay patient. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things you can take away from listening to people like Warren Buffett or Charlie Mungo or Phil Town in his books and, and the things he says on his channel is if, if you want to be really good at long-term investing, buying into great companies at affordable share prices, then you know the money is made not when you buy, not when you sell, but when you wait. Who said that? Was that Charlie Munger? I think, I think Charlie Munger, Was yeah. That, I think you're right. Charlie Munger, yeah. yeah. Money is made when you wait for a long-term investor. Mm. So. Um, I know it's boring. Um, <laughs> it sucks. I mean, 
in the meantime, definitely try and like look into some new companies, more companies, try and expand your circle of competence. And yes, you're right. If you want to be a passive investor as well, then you can still invest into obviously your ETFs, if, you know, passive investing showing up every six months or three months or whatever, and just keep buying. Yes, you can buy bonds, you know, short, shorter term bonds if you just want to make a little bit of return. Uh, but I, I think ultimately the best advice is just not to not to get that fear of missing out, just to chill out and uh, and and stay patient and really stay on top of everything so that you are at all times, you've got your watch list and you're 100% ready to go. You know the price that you would be interested in buying at so that if it happens, because boy, share prices can move very, very quickly, as we've seen over the past year, hmm. if it happens, you're right there ready to go and you can take advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the only thing to really add to that, I think it's a really good answer, um, is yeah, I mean, you, you can't, if you're waiting for, for stocks to get cheap, then you can't just put all of your cash into like an ETF because um, in all likelihood, True. or there's a very good chance that if that stock you're looking to buy goes down, so will the ETF. And then that kind of defeats the purpose of of waiting for it to get cheap because you'll lose money on yeah. the ETF if you then have to sell it. So, um, you know, if you're waiting for individual stocks to invest in, then you're going to have to have cash around. Um, and hopefully you can get a little bit out of that cash, maybe 1% is kind of the most you can get in Australia at the moment. I looked at term deposits the mm. other day and it was like a 12 month term deposit at NAB was like 0.9%, <laughs> which is just awful. It's not good. It's yeah. just terrible. Um, Real bad. So you can get a little bit out of your cash, but yeah, you, if you're buying individual businesses, then um, you just have to have the patience to wait for opportunities to come and then spend as much time as possible um, looking at businesses. I think Peter Lynch says that, you know, the best investors are the ones that turn the most stones over or, or whatever. Um, yeah, so like yeah. if you, if you're doing a lot of research, if you're looking at a lot of companies, you're more likely to find businesses that are great businesses and at a good price. But even then, mm. I mean, I don't find many very often at all. Um, I think I've found maybe about one per year since I started yeah. investing. I don't think you really should be unless you're in a deep, dark recession. You really shouldn't be finding a lot of businesses. I mean, remember Warren Buffett talks about the punch card with 20 punches. That's yeah. how a long-term investor should think about their investing career. You know, 20 punches, that's all you've got. So, you know, you'd really, you'd want to make sure that you're absolutely certain or re closely, closely certain <laughs> <laughs> um, that, you know, that's the right investment for you. I mean, if you're finding, you know, five stocks a week that you want to buy, then your criteria probably isn't, isn't strict enough, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly right. All right. All right. Let's get into this last one. Hey? Yes. Um, All right. I'll, I'll ask it to right. you. Did, or did I ask you the last no, one? I, I no, I read the last one. No. Yeah. All right. I'll read this one. <laughs> Hello, B&H. I think BN, is B&H a, a company in the US, I think. It's like camera is equipment it? or something. Really? Anyway, oh, yeah. I don't know. Hello, Brandon and Hamish. <laughs> <laughs> I recently became interested in Vanguard's ESG funds, so like ethical funds. Okay. Uh, other than a personal preference for socially responsible investing, are there any other compelling arguments for this strategy of investing? I'm all for index fund investing like a total market index or S&P 500, uh, but I fear ethical screening can cause us to miss gains from companies that do well but are excluded from ESG funds. Uh, what's your take on the future outlook? Any comments would be greatly appreciated. Many thanks. Yeah. What, what's your thoughts on um, this? I mean, okay. So, first of all, I think that 
whatever you're investing in, I mean, whenever I'm looking at individual businesses, I'm always looking for businesses that have values that are aligned with mine. So at the very least, yeah. I'm, um, I, I can get behind the vision of where that company's going in the future. And, you know, what, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, how, I guess, what is the social responsibility or um, more broadly, what's their responsibility to all of the stakeholders that are around that business, their employees, the environment, um, all of the other kind of stakeholders. So, in that way, I think that you should always invest with your values. Um, but I mean, any other compelling arguments? I mean, well, if if you if you're looking at individual businesses, for example, then I would be thinking about um, you know, can they generate me enough money to to make a high return? Um, so it's not mm. you know it's not enough for me to just get behind the vision of a company. Um, it still needs to make sense in terms of an investment in terms of the return that I'm generating. But, um, in terms of broad market ETFs, I kind of just stick towards the ones that are just, um, total market indexes like the S and P 500 or the ASX 500 or ASX 300. So I don't really go down the route of picking, um, specific industries in terms of, um, or, or specific types of, um, I, I guess just unique like ETFs, ETFs yeah. yeah, that I just have like a social responsibility attached to them or whatever. So um, yeah. I don't really have too much thought um, in regards to those, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I think I, I tend to agree with you because when I do my passive invest, like it's it's great. If, if you want to be a passive investor uh, or close, very close to that strict definition of passive investing, um, but you really don't want to hold, you know, the uh, gun manufacturers or the fossil fuel related companies um, or, you know, tobacco or gambling, then like for sure, you could, you could buy uh, uh, an ethical ETF. Um, and you know, maybe I'm not saying this will happen, but maybe that that might outperform over time as you know investors are getting more and more switched on to putting their money into more ethical investments. Um, but th- I guess the point is, when it comes to passive investing, you don't know. Mm. Um, the one thing that we do know, or the thing that gets tracked over years and years and years, is what the the whole market does, um, and that's where we base our um, base our investing decisions off of with the passive investing is we we um, we we look at the historical average um, of the 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 whole stock market say of the United States or of Australia and then we invest over time to hopefully average ourselves out and assume that you know that long standing average is likely going to continue into the future um, so that yeah you won't you won't get exactly the the general market return if you have a, an ethical uh, kind of ETF it might be close it might outperform but it also could underperform but yeah what you're saying before about the the buying individual stocks because I'm so focused on you know for me and my investing, number one is that I have to be able to get behind the business. Like mm. it has to sit with my values. That's like an absolute number one. Before I look at anything else, like that is absolutely right. Uh, like I would never invest in a gun manufacturer. I would never invest in uh, a fossil fuel related company. Uh, I just wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't wouldn't put my hard earned money into one of these companies because it doesn't align with my values. So. When, when I'm thinking more about like the ethical side of investing, I tend to focus much more on the active investing mm. as opposed to the passive investing. Um, so that, so that's kind of um, that's kind of how, how I go about 
uh, my investing, I suppose. Yeah. One of the thing I just remembered uh, um, that I want to talk about this yeah. is when you're looking at these kinds of different ETFs, just be careful about looking into how they select the stocks that go into that ETF. Because for something like yeah. um, the Vanguard Australian Shares Index, that is just strictly the ASX 300, the top, the biggest 300 companies in Australia. Whereas some of these, when you get into some of these unique ETF products, they it might just be a selection of businesses. There might not be any, you know, if one of the businesses in the ASX 300 does really poorly, it might move out of the ASX 300 and a new one comes in and you're always getting True. the top 300. Whereas there might be a, a FANG um, ETF that just invests your money in those five tech companies and they're not going to yeah. change at any time. It's the performance of those five companies. So that's just something else I just wanted to mention. Just be careful of how yeah, they're true. selecting these businesses. Um, and it, they're not, they may not be tied to an underlying Correct. index. Yeah, they might not be. Like a, an ethical selection of an underlying index, yes. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Uh, but yeah, it's like everything. Make sure you read the, the kind of the fact sheets uh, of, of any ETF product that you're thinking about buying course yeah. yeah all right should we um, yeah. all right we can, we can wrap it up there for today thanks everyone for, for yeah. tuning in um and uh, as always uh if you want to leave a question or a topic as we mentioned if you have a topic or a new story you want us to talk about um head over to the youtube version of the podcast at youtube.com forward slash the young investors podcast uh just leave your question on the latest episode or your or your new story there as well um thanks ShareSite for sponsoring this week's episode and uh, thanks brandon for joining me as always all right. And uh, we will be back next week for episode 97. Getting really 97, close. 97, we're getting close. Woohoo! <laughs> See you later, guys. <laughs> See ya.